for the last few months, we have seen Paul trying to mature the believers at Corinth, trying to teach them and correct their faulty theology and to call them to holiness in their lives. We've seen that Sunday after Sunday, how Paul effectively communicated the truth of God's word. And now as we come to these, this final chapter of that little letter, we see Paul encouraging them to be a part of God's story. He, you see God encouraging them through the Apostle Paul to take up those resources that had been given and really be a blessing to others. You know that as the preacher begins to close his message, he has to at least touch upon the Sunday offering. And that's what Paul does here. He has communicated in different areas. He's talked to them about the issues that they have faced. And now he comes and encourages them in the offering that is before them. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. For if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, Paul, again, had been on that missionary journey, that third missionary journey in particular. He emphasized the giving of the churches to help the greater body of Christ. And here he speaks about that offering that he's been promoting elsewhere. He says to them, concerning this collection, other places he uses the word fellowship or grace or service. Here he simply says the collection, the offering for the saints. He says, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Now look, when you're looking at Paul's words here, and you hear him talk about a specific offering to this church at Corinth, I think it communicates to us some just general characteristics of what an offering should be and what it should look like. I want you to notice here, it says something about how giving should be practiced among the churches and among the believers themselves. He says, concerning this collection, he said, I've commanded not only you, but the churches of Galatia, and as we'll see in the New Testament, the church in Rome, uh, we'll see here the churches in Greece themselves, that they have been encouraged to give to the cause of Christ, that giving ought to be a practice among the churches, among the churches and among the individual believers. You know, God has called us and he has blessed us. This week, wherever you were, you probably were able to stop for a moment and think of the blessings that you had. I mean, just in the sense that so many of us were able to pull up to a table and enjoy a great banquet. That in itself, is it not a blessing from God? Because everything that we have, everything that we have has been a gift provided by the Father. And what he says here is that as we see ourselves blessed, as God has worked in our lives, he says there's a sense of offering that everybody, a sense of giving that everybody should practice. 
Now, I understand that some of us are more giving than others probably. It's just the way of our hearts. I saw this morning as I came in a lot of my fellow Mississippi State fans. They are a giving bunch. And I love how they give to the Ole Miss Rebels in the Egg Bowl. Amen? Amen? Some of us may be more giving than others. We may be somehow um, uh, tilted or, or bent toward that way in which we give. But here he speaks about all of these churches and every individual that can be a part of giving to something that is great, giving to something that is wonderful, that it should be practiced. You know, I do believe that when we give, we recognize the great work of the kingdom, and we realize how we individually can be a part of that. Now, specifically, Paul had gone around and he was raising funds for the believers that were there in Jerusalem. He doesn't specify all of the reasons here in this letter, but he's, he really fleshes it out in the letter to the Romans and later on to the second Corinthian letter that we have here in our text. He'll speak about how those early believers were going through some very difficult times. They were suffering. Some have suggested, as the scripture has indicated, that there was a famine that was taking place in Jerusalem. And the brothers and sisters in Christ there were in need. I would even suggest to you that because of their faith, that had limited their resources, had limited their ability and opportunity for work, I would say to you because they had followed the way that they had also suffered the consequences. And because of those things, they were, they were struggling. There was great difficulty that they faced. Resources. And what Paul says is that as you come to practice this giving you ought to think about this great purpose and you ought to think about this great need you ought to think about how god can take what you have and bless your brothers and sisters in jerusalem many of you have heard me say this especially those of you who have gathered here on sunday nights with me as we've studied through the book of acts that i believe god has called us certainly to be a giving generous body of Christ we ought to give and we ought to help even those of our society that most need it I believe in that but as I read the New Testament I see a special obligation toward our brothers and sisters in Christ especially toward them Look in the book of Acts. They were sharing. They were taking care of the local members of the church, those who were facing issues. They were taking care of those things. And my friends, if we don't take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ, how in the world will our testimony go forth in the community and beyond? And here he says, look at your brothers and sisters in Christ that are there in Jerusalem. We, I understand that you are primarily a Gentile church, but he says understand that there is a need among your brothers and your sisters and giving ought to be practiced in order to bless those. And somehow, through this offering, I believe, there was a sense of unity that was achieved among the early church. I mean, we think of the early church and we think of 
how we would love to be that New Testament church that we've seen and how they must not have had any issues, how they must have been united all the time. Well, that's the way we've thought about it, perhaps. As we've read this letter, we've seen that the early church was made up of people just like you and me. And when people are involved, problems are involved, right? And because we are fallen, because we have not been fully glorified yet, we still have these fleshly desires and natures. And there, there was all kinds of things that went on in that early church as we've seen. And there was this distinction between those churches that came from a primarily Jewish background and those who came from a primarily Gentile background. And there was still, there was, there was still this issue that many faced. And yet, as Paul writes and he encourages this Gentile church to give toward their brothers and sisters in Christ, those who had come from a primarily Jewish background, Somehow, I believe it not only united the church, but it united the greater body of Christ as it spoke to how God had used each one in his own way. Romans chapter 15, verse 27, when Paul was speaking about this collection, he had said to them, It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things... Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. What Paul had said there was, because you have been blessed in such a way by those of the Jewish heritage that you have provided, you have seen salvation come through the Jewish nation. He said, somehow, since you've been a partaker in that blessing, you ought to be able to turn around and bless your brothers from that heritage. That's what he says. And here... Back in the Corinthian letter, Paul is speaking about how they can give in such a way that is to unify the church. You know, that should be one of the moments. Let's, let's just apply it locally here. That should be one of the moments that we could be unified, especially in the work of God. Let's say when we just take the offering. You don't have many people, you don't have many people standing up during an offering and saying, Hey, I got a problem with things. We don't want you to start doing that either. But most of the time we can say we can be unified around, hopefully, this effort. It brings unity within the church as we see the greater purpose and the greater goal, right? Because we are giving for this greater purpose and this greater goal. Let's think a moment about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Now, some of you may be new to Baptist life, but... Most of us, the others who have grown up in Baptist life, we've heard Lottie Moon mentioned many, many times. Have we not? It's always around this time of year. Someone once said, will we ever get Lottie paid off? Will we ever pay the debt to Lottie? The Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes to support, 100% of it goes to support our missionaries our international missionaries around this globe. What greater purpose, what greater privilege could we have than to give? 
and how it should unite us. When we see that great goal and that great purpose, somehow it should unite us that I can be a part of reaching the nations for Christ. Because I point out to you once again that a group of disciples and apostles who were based in Jerusalem caught the fire and the passion of God. They were saved. God emboldened them through the Holy Spirit and they moved out in missions. And you understand that we, we sit here today worshiping because God placed the nations upon the hearts of those early disciples. Because you and I are part of the nations. We received the good news of Christ and we responded. Somebody, somewhere, sacrificed their lives and their resources so that we could come to Christ. So I say to you, when you look at an offering For example, the Lottie Moon, it should give us such a grand vision of God's purpose and it should give us that great motivation to give and to unify together in his kingdom. That certainly should be our heart and it should be our passion as we think through those opportunities. Understand that these efforts, even the collection that was to be taken here, that these efforts are not only to be practiced, but they are very practical when they are applied. What are they going to do? They're going to take the money, they're going to take it, and they're going to feed, they're going to clothe, they're going to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. How much more practical can you be? I mean, it's not just, well, we're taking up this money and we... It is used for those practical purposes of helping brothers and sisters in Christ. And everything that we take, everything that we do as we honor the Lord through our giving should be something that can be practically applied. About three weeks ago, I was uh, up in Canada. You may may have mentioned that to you. And I was uh, speaking at the Southern Baptist Seminary there. It's a very small school, uh, about 85, 84 students who are there, who are learning. You will note that they represent the nations among those 84. I mean, you go in, and yes, there are those who have lived in Canada for some time, but you will see a lot of other faces from all over the world, and they are they're educating them. And there's a very small faculty, as you could imagine, Three of those who are on faculty are actually international mission board missionaries. They've been there for a long time. They've been there serving, taking care of things. I ate in one of their homes. And as we ate there, he said to me, he said, Reggie, I want you to see a Lottie Moon house. I said, no, what? I've never heard of a Lottie Moon house before. And he said, this house that we're living in is a Lottie Moon house. Lottie Moon Money bought this house many, many years ago, many years ago, before the real estate prices skyrocketed, before it bought this house so that we could live there. And there are others here where the professors live and they're able to do 
what they do. I want you to just see the practical application of Lottie Moon giving. Here we are called to come with our brothers and sisters and support them and give in such a way that we can touch the nations themselves. That should be a unifying call for every one of us in this place. That should be one of those things where we see that our giving is used in a practical way. You know, even our Sunday morning giving is used in a practical way. Every Sunday morning as we give, there's a certain amount that we send directly to our ministries and our missions that are elsewhere. Next week as we come together at the end of our service, there will be the approval of our budget. And you'll notice even in that, that we have tried to intentionally increase our missions giving. I believe as a church, because notice we give individually, but here he's calling upon the churches themselves to give. And I've always believed that if we as a church, we give very liberally and we give to other causes and other moments of the kingdom, that God will bless us more than we could ever know. It's not just about us trying to keep everything here. It's about us as a church giving and supporting those ministries. Now, I am thankful that we do have enough here to pay the electric bill, don't you? Okay, I'll put it this way so that you'll really be able to amen me this morning. I am thankful this morning that we have enough money in this place to pay the preacher. <laughs> Practical application. Practical it's not just something that's done in theory. It's not just something we give. But we are touching the very ministry that we're a part of through our giving. We are touching missions in a practical way. So giving should be practiced. Giving should be planned. Notice what he says in verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. Literally, it says, on the first day, if you use the original language, it's like on the first day of every week. Let each one of you lay something aside. It should be planned. It should be intentional. He is saying that you need to look at the resources. And, and the, the wording that's used here is even the idea of the treasures that you have. You should look at those things and you should intentionally plan to give in a generous way systematically it's not just okay i'm going to give here and i'm going to give there systematically giving i think that as i look at verse two i even i even see the theological underpinnings of this i don't want to press it too much but i think there is significance in verse 2, on the first day of the week. Yes, I know that's when they were coming together. So it is practical in the sense that you take an offering when the people are there, right? I understand that. But I think it even cuts farther than that. I think there is some sense of theological basis that's here for the offering. On the first day of the week. I think there's some kind of significance here because... In chapter 15, what had we just talked about? The resurrection. The whole of the 15th chapter was about the resurrection. And now Paul, he takes that 
And he moves into this encouragement of giving. And in verse 2, he speaks about the first day of the week. It should conjure up in those original readers' minds that he's speaking somehow about that day, the resurrection day and the resurrection power that Paul had been communicating about already. And if it's the first day of the week and we're coming and we're to give in a systematic planned way, it is a planned intentional response to God's work and God's grace in our lives. As I said, Paul had just been speaking about the salvation we have and about the power we have through the resurrection itself. So on the first day of the week when we come together, as early believers did, we come in the very power and the very work of Christ, celebrating what he has accomplished. I know on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, we come together and we specifically talk about that Christ event. We specifically talk about the life. We specifically talk about the power he has. But in reality, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. On the first day of every week, we can come and celebrate that Christ Jesus is risen. And when we do that, somehow it ought to overflow into our worship and it shouldn't give us a sense of thanksgiving, even in our offering. Later on, Paul will say to the Corinthians again as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, he'll say, For the administration of this service not only applies or supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. And then he punctuates that moment by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul said later to the Corinthians, yes, you met the need, but it wasn't just about the need that it was met. It was about your worshipful response to God's grace and God's work. That's what it was about in this giving. So as I look, as I think about the first day of the week, and I'm giving in a planned, intentional way, I want to express my worship and thanksgiving. Prayerfully and hopefully, we prepare ourselves and plan appropriately for worship each week. Collective worship. Individually, we should be worshiping throughout the week. And then when we come together on Sunday morning, as I've put it to staff members before, it is the Super Bowl moment of the week where I can come together with my brothers and my sisters and celebrate what has occurred and what has happened. I pray that as I prepare myself for that moment, that I have prepared intentionally and I have planned, even in my giving, that I have planned so that I can give systematically to the kingdom's effort. It is 
giving is to be practiced. It is to be planned. It is to be proportioned, he says. Notice this. Verse 2, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. He says that each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper. Somehow here he talks about the proportional type of giving. God has blessed, he says, you have prospered. And as you prosper, you are to give proportionally. I mean, that's really what he's talking about here. He, he's, he's, not asked you, he's not asked you to come and to give everything to the church, although you should ever use everything for the glory of Christ. That, that, that would be a pretty good theme for our lives, right? Is that he has called me to give in part something to his kingdom and his work on the Sunday offering. But even if I have 90 or 80% left, I'm to use it for his glory. That's what stewardship is. But he says we're to come and we're to give proportionally as we prosper. Now, I'm not getting into, I have people come to me all the time and ask questions like, should I give on my gross? Should I give on my net? Should I give on my... You know, if we get into all of those small things, I think we simply miss the joy of giving. Do you know that we can be obedient in some sense? And yet, we can miss the joy of Christ. What do you mean by that? Last week, you were there, Zion Traveler, many of you were. I preached myself almost to death. I've only recovered this morning to crawl into this pulpit. But I preached from Psalm 100, which said, Serve the Lord with gladness. Not just serve not just do it out of obligation, but to do it with joy. To do it with joy. And somehow as we give to the Lord, we ought to do it with joy. And not worry about all the gross or net. Just give. You know, if we have to ask those questions, if we have to get down to that point, I think we've really missed the gracious joy of giving. Well, how about tithing? Proportionate. Certainly I have affirmed tithing all of my life. But I love the way Adrian Rogers put it. He probably framed it as well as anybody that I've ever heard. Adrian Rogers once said that if a Christian would allow a Jew to do under the law more than he, the Christian, would do under grace, it is a disgrace to grace. Now think of that just a moment. If a Jew would give more under the law than a believer would under grace, it's a disgrace to grace. You know, I don't get caught up in the... I, I just think we ought to give liberally and we ought to give as much as we can because get this. 
everything we have is His. Now, my mother probably didn't always have the best perspective on things. Leslie, is there an amen there? We spent a little time with her this week, I thought. But my mother used to remind me that God owns it all anyway. And we may try to clutch on to these things and hold on to them and use them. But you know what? God's the one ultimately that has control. Even when we think we've got control. God's the one God's the one that can hold the radiator in place. God's the one that can bless with health. Oh, if you she would say you, you can try to hang on to it, but you know what? Somehow along the way, if you don't recognize God in your life, now I'm not saying to you that that's the best perspective. I'll tell you, I, I see some theological issues with it. But you know what? She was right in this sense. God owns it all. And he's the one in control of whether I'm blessed with prosperity or not. He's the one that works in his own way, in his own means to provide. And as I prosper and I recognize the, what he has done to generously bless me, then I hope and pray that I would just be proportionate in that blessing. And I would give. Giving is to be practiced, is to be planned, intentional, systematic. It is to be proportioned and then he says, it is to be protected. Verse 3. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Paul says, you collect the offering. When I get there, we'll rejoice, we'll celebrate. But I want you to choose individuals that you trust and that you believe and that they will go. And if it's okay, if it works out, then I'll go. But I want them to go and then I want them to take the offering. Now, yes, it could be for blessing because that way they get the blessing out of it. The church does. And yes, it could be that with this large sum of money, most likely all in coins, that they would need individuals to travel with them to keep them safe yes that could be there as well but i think this protection that i'm speaking about that paul's speaking about is one of integrity in other words paul says i want you to know it's going to get to where it should get and you'll have your own people approved by letters that'll be delivering it i'm not some charlatan paul says because in these days, in these early New Testament days, there were many itinerant preachers that were going around, itinerant teachers that were taking advantage of churches and of people. And he says, I don't want you to feel that way about this ministry and about what I'm doing. I want you. He says, it's a blessing to know that you can give. And that money, those resources, will be used 
for what it was intended to be used for. I would say this to some of my fellow preachers and pastors and ministers. That we ought to take a note from Paul. There's so many times. There's so many times that we impress our, our authority. Well, we have a right to do this. Paul here. Paul could have said, you know, I have a right to take the money and take it. Do you not trust me? But Paul didn't do that. Paul said, this is the best way to deal with it. I love what James Travis, the old Blue Mountain professor, used to say as he looked at us preacher boys, and he would say to preacher boys before me for years and years, he would say, guys, don't touch the money. Don't touch the money. Allow it to be used for the purpose that God has called it to. Demonstrate integrity that is above the board. Never insist on authority. Insist upon integrity. I think that's a call for us. That whatever we do and whatever we use, that it be protected. That we trust that integrity reigns. Giving. Giving. It should be practiced in our lives. Some of us have missed the blessings of life because we have chosen not to give to the kingdom of God. John Greenleaf Whittier said, Somehow, not only for Christmas, but all the year long through, the joy that you gave or give to others is the joy that comes back to you. And the more you spread in blessing the poor and the lonely and sad, the more of your heart's possession return to make you glad. And we certainly don't give just to get. But may I say to you, I am a living testimony. You are a living testimony. That we cannot outgive God. May we be people who practice, plan, proportion, and protect the resources that God has given us so that we might give accordingly to make a difference for His kingdom. Let's pray together. Father. We do uh, come before you and bless your name. And God, I pray that this morning you would flood us with a sense of gratitude continually. Overwhelm us with a sense of your blessing in our lives. And God, that you would challenge us even this morning To give in such a way that we would make a difference. Lord, you promised us that you can take a little and you can multiply it for your kingdom. And God, I pray that you would bless us systematically as we give. I pray that you would bless us as we give in these special moments, as we gather together unified to support your work and your kingdom. 
And God, that as we give, that we would give cheerfully and joyfully. And Father, may we see your gospel. May we see your good news. May we see it expanded here in our community, in our nation, and in the nations themselves. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning?